Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 89 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Summary of the Book of Revelation, Part 24, Chapter 18, Harlot of Babylon. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. Well, good morning, class. Hope all is well. We enter into this special season of Christmas. I love the Christmas season. I think it's a wonderful time to be for Christians to bring the positive side to this time of year. Amen. So, Lord Jesus, I do pray you'd be with us today. I thank you for those that are here, those that are watching online. And, Lord Jesus, we do ask and pray for revelation of your Spirit. We thank you for your presence among us. And we pray, oh God, that we could hear you and what you are saying to the churches. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. As we begin our teaching, again, as in the days of Noah, what a title. We'll almost overlook it if we're not careful. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And what this scripture is speaking about is as a Christian and as a believer, I don't know that we need to get too snuggled into the world because you're just passing through. And uh, we're not to be that close into the world. This is what uh, Billy Graham had to say, which I thought was rather interesting. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. Amen. A lot of times we do try to take on the job of the Holy Spirit and ultimately God. I don't know y'all if y'all have ever been guilty of this, but I have, I'm almost 71 now, and I've been into a lot of situations that I've made decisions, had uh, judgment on something, and can be in business or personal or whatever, and, and I'll make my decision, I'll judge it, to use that terminology, only to find out a few weeks later, when I get a little bit more information, I would not have made that decision. You know, there's, I think there's a reason the Bible tells us not to judge, and it's because we don't have all the information. And uh, as soon as we judge someone or judge a situation in that moment, we're going by what information we have. But the truth is that we don't have all the information. So for us to even pass that type judgment, pretty far, it's not, it should be far from us to even, to have the wisdom that we don't have all the facts, to me is a great wisdom in making judgments and making decisions. There again, I've had a lot of opportunities to, I would have done something differently had I had this bit of information. And that's the reason when up here in the scriptures, God's the judge. And the reason he can do it so well is he's got all the information, past, present, and future. And so as we get into more of this, uh, the book of Revelation, I'm going to try to follow and dump out a lot of information this morning so I can not get sidetracked, get beyond two or three, four slides. The Bible tells us that the earthly world, symbolized by Babylon, will be destroyed, making way for a new heaven and a new earth. Now that is our hope, that's our great joy. As we see the world around us, it, it can be pretty discouraging, but the good news is there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. I understand that that's a pretty big transition. I understand that most of us don't like much change, so when you're gonna do the whole world, that's what you could say, that's a lot of change. An old world for a new one. So this is the ultimate of change, and that's when God brings this thing to a conclusion and then to a new beginning. Nonetheless, even though it pressures us and pushes us to accept this statement with great joy, it's understandable why we could struggle. Because this is a, for those of you that hate change, you've got some hatred to be delivered of because she's a coming. In Revelation 21, it says this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. 
So we know in looking and viewing this book of Revelation that what we're looking at in this world seeing as much corruption as there is, it is going to be done away with. Ultimately, it is going to be done away with. So it's in that we should find great joy. Now, in chapter 17, this is where we left off last week, as we move quickly through this chapter, John depicts a strong woman that would seduce the world. In the Bible, the ancient city of Babylon was the symbol of corruption, arrogance, seduction, which would have a negative influence upon the world. This symbol is used from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis, we see that Babylon was founded after the flood. Nimrod was a ruler. He had an empire of one ruler with one language. And of course, you know the story. Nimrod led the people in revolt against God. He talked them into building a tower that would protect them from another flood and would reach into heaven. It's a curiosity to me that most people that are against God consider themselves to be an atheist, but yet they fight God. It's, it's an oddity to me. How do you fight something that you don't believe in? So this battle's there, so we know that somebody's got a psychological problem. And in this day that we're living in, the act of, of being deceived is, as Jesus tells us, is the main issue. And none of us can, should consider ourselves as someone that couldn't be deceived. And one thing that helps us not to be deceived is humility, according to the Scriptures. And when we're humble and we have uh, humility, that helps us stay under the radar somewhat. This wasn't happening here with Nimrod. Now, we'll look here just quickly. Uh, sun worship, global dictator. The earliest form of paganism originated, of course, we know in the plain of Shinar. It's in, uh, it was Nimrod in Genesis 10, 8. It says, And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to, to be a mighty one in the earth. He was mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, even Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, in the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Uric, and Akkad, and whatever in the land of Shinar. Now, Hebrew for that word there, Marad, is to babble or means we will rebel. And that's where what the name Nimrod means. So what it is signifying is there's something in mankind, in the fallen nature of man, that's constantly wanting to rebel against God. And so when we personally find sin in our own lives, that is a type of rebellion. Most sin, there's two types of sin, basically. There's sin against yourself, and then there's sin against others. And it's easy we can understand when we have a sin against ourselves. In either projection, whether it's yourself or, or others, the sin is usually, 99.9% uh, .9 of the time, it's tearing something down. You're either tearing yourself down or you're tearing others down. And we say to ourselves, this is for your betterment that I'm tearing you down. I'm telling you this, it's actually laying your guts out on the floor, but I'm telling you this because you need it and it'll be for your good. And so when we have that type of criticism and we know that it's going to be rampant in this day, and there again, the question is, we tend to think in our own thinking as we are in a constant, I don't know how to say it. It's uh, is it, Have you ever had the spirit of Google come over you? That is a new spirit. It's been identified now by many scientists. It's called the, the spirit of Google. It's just where you know everything. You didn't even know you was that smart. But it's just it's this spirit of I know everything comes upon us all. But the deception of that, it's, it's a huge deception. And there's all forms of this. And it comes out of Babylon. The final global dictator will be a sin 
Nimrod II, we call it. It's in Micah. It comes from this ideology. A spiritual bar, uh, Babylon, all forms of occult practices have had their origins in the original city of Babylon. We see this in Isaiah 47. As Babylon was conquered by their entire religious systems, was transplanted from Pergamos and into Rome. Now, this is what's important. What we have with us today is this same system, spiritual system, of the original Babylon. Very, very interesting to me. Now, in pagan Rome, uh, it is a repackaged Babylon. Now, in Genesis 11, I'm going to, we'll look at this story here. And the whole earth was of one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there, and they said one to another, Go, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime. And you know the story of building this tower of Babel. Now, Nimrod had set up a totalitarian system of government that centralized control. Here's what we're wanting to see today. The spirit of Babylon has constantly, ever since it was destroyed, it has been trying to reemerge. I personally think that the city, there will be a city. I really thought when Saddam Hussein was rebuilding the actual city of Babylon. I'm more of the, it is the spirit of Babylon, but I'm somewhat persuaded there'll actually be a city of Babylon. There is a city of Babylon, maybe I should say, or the ancient city will be rebuilt. I would tend to think that the ancient city, in all honesty, will even be rebuilt. And I thought that's what was happening. God intervened by sowing confusion into their camp. God confused their language. They had to split up and uh, consequently spread into different nations. God never allowed Babel to be finished at that time. Now, it makes you, you see how God thinks here. He wants it scattered and covered the earth. So, it just so happens that we know that God will scatter. We know that the nation Israel today has been scattered. And then in 1948, the unscattering started to happen. God started drawing uh, the Jews back to Israel. So, you have a time of scattering, and you have a time, like with Israel, that it's not scattered. But you have to wonder, and uh, I'm sure there could be some debate here, but I'm going to raise the question. This is not an answer. Uh, it makes me wonder why the church continually, congregations will split and scatter. We've got all these denominations, got all of these different ideas of how to approach the Scriptures. I sometimes wonder if God doesn't do that. Because if we didn't, would we be scattered? God's constantly trying to scatter us. I don't know if you've noticed it, but God's kind of unorthodox sometimes. He, he kind of does things I wouldn't think He, he would do. Trevor was discussing a, a time in heaven this morning as we were eating a few eggs about a time that God had a council around a table and he said we need to do send a spirit down here to the earth to confuse these leaders and there was a line this one whatever he was angel or something came up or spirit and said I'll be a lying spirit and go down and confuse the prophets I think is the way the story goes God said that's a great idea go do it and you're like God commissioned a lying spirit have you ever read the scriptures that all things work together for good? Yeah, I mean, God makes it all work out somehow. But I've often wondered, does God scatter his church? And, you know, it'd be nice if we did it on purpose, but if we don't do it on purpose, God will just help us get it done, right? So, just a little aggravating thought there. Therefore, it has been trying to reemerge since that day. So, we need to understand as Christians, as we look at the book of Revelation, we need to understand what's going on. What's going on is this city of Babylon, the spirit of Babylon is trying to reemerge. We see that the religion of Babylon passed down through the ages. Uh, we got the scriptures like in Pergamos, then we know that it went into Rome, and then we know with Catholicism that Catholicism took that same thing, and I went over a little bit of that, some of our 
same things have been merged into Christianity. And, uh, but I'm the type that if Babylon merged into Christianity, I think we can take it back for God, Christmas being one of those things. So one of the biggest signs of the end times is that Babylon is finished, but God allows it. So we see here that God allows in Revelation for this city of Babylon, spirit of Babylon, He allows it to, to come forth. The world will want a one leader to rule, just like in Babylon, and it will be the Antichrist. In Genesis, and we see, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, they have all one language, and this they begin to do. Now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined. That goes into a lot of other scriptures we have in Daniel. You know, we have on the scene now AI. Artificial intelligence is really emerging fast. It's amazing how many. There is a, a oneness there of this world system. I think AI will probably have a, to play in it. So it says, uh, verse 8, so the Lord scattered them abroad, and you know the story. Now, we have what's called the great prostitute here in Revelation 17 reveals that Babylon will be upon the people and the nations of the earth. So what we as a people here in the United States, well, our concern is are we taking on the mentality and the spirit of Babylon in my own life? in our church, in our country. Like Babel, Babylon reveals a world system, a dictatorship, a hell on earth, uh, dominated by the beast, an antichrist figure to control the earth. And as we get into chapter 17 here, we start seeing what happens. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying, uh, Unto me come hither, I will show unto the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. That's need to take note of that. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, what we're sensing here and seeing is that the spirit of Babylon is upon the earth and it's emerging and it's growing. But it has a, in verse 2 there, it says, the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk. When you're drunk, you start losing your ability to reason. You know, you know everything that goes along with being drunk. Why did the Holy Spirit use this terminology? So we have people today that appear to be kind of a spiritual drunk or something. In all honesty, people will do things when they're drunk that they won't do when they're sober. And so here we have a spiritual drunk, if you will. And in this spiritual drunkenness, what happens is you're deceived. It's deception. If you find yourself disagreeing a lot with the scriptures, you know that you're trying to work. When you find yourself trying to be the savior of the world and not allowing Jesus to be the savior of the world, you're definitely uh, under this type of drunkenness that's talked about here in the scripture. Now it's called in Revelation 17, the great whore rides the beast with seven hands and 10 horns. That's in Daniel. If you want to do further study, the great whore is a the mother of harlots, it says, drunk with the blood of the saints. This is with different religions that is not followers of Christ is where these, uh, it says that you're drunk with the blood of the saints. Now, Revelation 18, it says, it calls this Babylon, the city, Babylon the Great. It starts talking about then that it's a city. And it appears there's going to be a city, a real city, where this is all centralized. Of course, you know the story about the Antichrist in Israel. There's three very disappointed people groups here. Three very disappointed people groups. Number one's kings. That's rulers of nations. Number two, merchants. 
And this is interesting, those that trade by sea. Has it ever made sense to you why in the world we do so much trade with other countries and overseas? We accept it all as normal, but do you know it takes a lot of trouble to ship something in, over the seas uh, in containers and in ships and in fuel? It's a lot of trouble. It'd be much easier to make it down the street. So if you really think of the concept that we have of international trade and everything that we're shipping everywhere, that's not a normal or a natural reaction to produce goods. It's just not normal, it's not natural. It's a forced, it's, it's a forced transaction. It's natural to have a flour mill and a, everything that you need to sustain life within a 30 mile radius. That would be normal and natural. But we find ourselves getting plugged into this international world system that it's not natural is what I'm saying. It's not, and today you even have this yearning of people wanting to get back to what's natural, right? Everybody's trying to find it. It's funny to me how people go to the grocery store and buy organic products that were shipped in here from China. Or <laughs> it, just, it blows my mind how people go to the organic places in the grocery store and say, I'm, gonna, I'm like, do you have any idea that these organics, where they're coming from, a country that does not even have an organic standard, the only reason they're organic is because they can't afford anything to look after the crop? You think I'm kidding? <laughs> the fruit and a lot of the stuff comes in here, it looks like it's not even edible. We're into this thinking. I think we're drunk on this type thinking. And what, what has happened, it used to be in this country, and it was a good thing, I think. In our country, you had established, like in agriculture, which you still have it today, but it's gonna, it went off the rails years ago. But you had a Department of Agriculture, and that Department of Agriculture, one of its main things was to assure the American people that they had fresh food, fresh produce, a milk, meat, eggs, the standards of living, and that you had good quality food. When I started milking cows 40, uh, 50 years ago now, there was a standard for milking cows. If you drank milk in North Carolina, in Taylorsville, North Carolina, it had to come out of a cow in North Carolina. If you drank milk in South Carolina, it had to come from a cow in South Carolina. Each state had to produce their own milk. It was all about freshness. And number two, it was all about allergens. Milk is like honey. It carries things in it that helps your children with their allergies. Me, you, because you're drinking milk that was produced right down the road from you. You get that? So it used to be that our Department of Agriculture was taking care of everything that people are concerned about today. I'm just telling you that today, most of your agriculture, at least 50% of it, is not even produced here. Isn't that amazing? See, what happens, you can say, well, no, this says, this meat here says product of the United States. Well, you can ship in a half of beef it can be frozen or whatever. You can ship in a half a beef. As long as you cut it here, it's called, if anybody in the United States touches that meat, it is then stamped as produced in the United States. So I would say our Department of Agriculture let us down. Sounds like to me somebody sold out somewhere. And so this forced trade, it's, we shifted from trying to look after people to have healthy food, have jobs. Used to be when you wore the clothes you wore, in, uh, just in Little Ireland County there, they did it all. You had meat, you had milk. They built tillers there. Your clothes were made there. Dicky shirts were made there. I can go over everything that a human needs was made in Ireland County at one time. But it was all done on purpose by the planning of our government to influence that everybody would have a safe environment and you'd have good quality of food, clothing, and a way to make a living.
And the reason I bring this up is to show us now we get into this world trade. Let's set it. Do we have a full container? We got to fill up a container. It's all, all when I deal in business, everybody's, I was approached not long ago that they wanted me to start shipping Daddy Pete overseas. I said I wouldn't for a, if it was full of gold. And the reason I wouldn't, I don't want to be part of that system because that whole system is about globalism. I'm not saying that as a farmer, I can change it. I can just tell you, I, I know what I'm looking at. And so today we've shifted from what's healthy for us to now the dollar rules all decisions. What makes something right is because I can buy it cheaper. What makes something wrong? Because it costs more money. That's the way we work. Where's the cheapest place? Well, I'm all for buying it cheap, but you've got to understand something. We've left quality and we've allowed the dollar to rule. Once we have gone into a world where the dollar rules, right and wrong doesn't rule anymore. What makes it right is if I got it cheaper, produced it cheaper, I can get it from China cheaper, I can get it from child labor or forced labor cheaper. And I think, you know, and, and it's amazing, I mean, our cell phones today is a product of that. All of our cell phones are put together and using lithium and in the battery. Oh, it goes on and on and on from forced labor. So we've got this mixture now. In other words, it's okay, but we've got this mixture of this. We're already 75% global in thinking and don't even know it. That's called seduction. You've been seduced. That's seduction. At this church, we're, we're very aware of not blowing smoke at people. We're very aware of not bragging on people too much or very, very little. We're all for encouraging each other one-on-one, -on -one, okay? We're, we're for that. Let's encourage each other one-on-one. -on -one. We're not too much into platform bragging. We're not too much into bragging on people from the platform. And it's because we have to be careful that we take on to this attitude that's not of the Spirit of Christ. We are wanting Jesus to be lifted up here, not man. And you might say, well, we go overboard on that. Well, it's not a bad place to overdo it. They're against, we're not against encouraging each other. But what's happening and we're seeing happening with the Spirit of Babylon, we're into this globalized system. Keep that in mind. The many waters here is explained for those of you that would like to see in verse 15 there. All right, with the Tower of Babel, we'll get into verse 3. I'm going to move her quickly here. I keep saying that. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads, ten horns, and that is the beast. And the woman was arrayed in purple, scarlet-colored, decked with gold, precious stones, and there she is. He goes on down to say that, and upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery Babel. Babylon, that's in verse 5. Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So we see this beast. You can see it also in Daniel. The lady writing there is not probably the Antichrist, but it is a spirit of a leader. It can be the spirit of the Antichrist, as we'll see perhaps if we go further into that. Upon her head was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now, for some reason in the original text, the reason it's, it's all caps here is because originally that's in the scriptures. It, for some reason, John put that in all caps. A lot of different ideas on that. The mother of harlots, which is false religions. And what we have happening today is all over the earth, there is not but one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, there's not but one true religion upon the planet. And I make no excuses for that because I know that there's a lot of false religions in this day and in this hour. Religions is man's attempt to cover himself with God. 
Babylon produces the first world dictator and the last world dictator. So it's, you got there again, capture the globalism, the Babel, they were all together. What's happening at the end of the age is there's this push to bring the world together as one under one dictator over. So we see all of these things going into place now. Climate change is used as a tool. All of these different global tools, which I'm sure most of you are aware of. This is the beast uh, that is described in Revelation 13 also of this mystery of Babylon. This is a political system and its leader is what that is signifying. Now John then tells of the destruction of the fall of Babylon in Revelation 18. Revelation 18, and after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven having the great power and the earth was a lightning with his glory and he cried mighty with the strong voice saying, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth, there you go, of the sea, are waxed rich through abundance of her. You see that? It's the abundance. And now you can look at America today, and we have so much abundance. Uh, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of the sins, and that you receive not her plagues. Now here's what we want to see. The last form of apostate Christendom, the warning to God's people, Christendom will go through the Great Tribulation. Now, I make a distinction between the church, true Christians, and Christendom. Christendom is the world of Christianity. Everybody that claims to be a Christian is not a Christian. But you have the world of Christianity. And within that world, you have true Christians, true believers. Well, Christendom will not be raptured out true Christians will be. And the body of Christ on earth ascends unto be the bride of Christ in heaven. Now you must make a distinction between Christendom and the body of Christ. Because if you do not make that distinction, and that's where people have problems with the church going through tribulation, they don't make a distinction between the Jews, for the most part, that are in Israel today are not the believing Jews. They do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Y'all understand that. Even though we're glad that they're there and where they are. Now this invading darkness quickly. Throughout the highest, we have this invading darkness throughout the highest levels of government. It's in our entertainment. The entertainment industry celebrates every imaginable evil and attacks family values. It's in our schools. It appears in our educational established, deliberately dumbing down and corrupting our youth. In many of our churches, same-sex marriage is about destroying the family. A lot of people think it's about allowing same-sex marriage, but what it does, it totally destroys the family's value system. There was a day when we could rely on our advisors, counselors, and professionals. Today, that would be naive. I'm sorry to say. This is one book I wanted you to see by Jim Nelson's Black, It's When Nations Die. This was a book that was used a lot years ago and is coming back now. He wrote it in 1944. In presenting the com this book was in presenting the common factors that cause past civilizations to decline. Black identifies which warning signs are present in America and urges readers to take specific actions against them. This is where Babylon creeps in. What he says in this book, When Nations Die, he starts off with social decay in a country. You have a crisis of lawlessness, and boy, have we seen that in the last five years. A loss of economic discipline. We owe so much money now in the United States, we can't even fathom the number. But I would say we have definitely lost economic discipline. You have rising bureaucracy, which we do. Then he goes on in the book says, we have cultural decay is the next thing. Decline of education, weakening of cultural foundations, loss of respect for traditional values. 
And then the third one he cites in this book is moral decay, which is the right rise of immorality, which we're seeing, the decay of religious belief, which we're seeing, and the devaluing of human life, which we have experienced for some time now. All right, I want us to also look at this one. Another book, Alexander Tyler, Cycle of Nations. I'm sure some of y'all have heard of this before. This is called what in this particular book is The Cycle of Nations. Now, if you watch it at the top, it says that it starts with the word bondage. In other words, think about the nation of Israel when they were under bondage with Egypt or the founding of even of our country. We had people came here that wanted religious freedom because they were under a type of bondage. But it says in this cycle that you people, a people start off in bondage and and then they come out of that bondage, and the result of that is they come out of it with spiritual faith. What causes a people to come out of this bondage is spiritual faith. You know, words, you have an awakening, it's called. Third thing that happens is the populace gains courage because now they are holding spiritual faith. The next thing it has, this courage produces liberty and freedom, which we as a nation have we have grown to take this for granted, but it comes out of, because we had our, our, our wars and our civil war. and But anyway, this is a cycle. And then you have the liberty, which we now enjoy. Then, but that liberty produces abundance, prosperity, abundance. Then out of abundance, when people get a lot of stuff, they turn selfish. And then after that, they turn complacent. And then after the complacency, apathy sets in. And then out of apathy is dependence, and then you turn back, you come back into bondage. It's just called a cycle of the nation. And now my question is, where is America in the cycle? As you looked at that, where do you think we are as a nation in that cycle? When entitlement creeps in to the middle class, it's all over. And yet we have all heard of this terminology of entitlement in the last years. That's when people feel entitled. The government, the country owes them something. And you can see in that cycle where we are. In other words, the state that we're in now is to create a situation in which the people are dependent upon the government. That is the spiritual goal. Is in, That's just the goal. I don't care who you are. The middle class tend to fight it off, but as it historically as it comes into that, coming into the last. Entitlements require more control and money. That's what happens. I want to show you a few things here before I have to hush. Uh, January 1st, 2012, a signing of the most controlling document against the American people happened. 2012. President Obama signed a bill on New Year's Eve, which essentially eliminates the Bill of Rights. It is the National Defense Authorization Act. Here's a little bit of it. The president's signing of the National Defense Authorization Act is a law that grants the U.S. military the legal right to conduct secret kidnappings of U.S. citizens, followed by indefinite detentions, interrogation, torture, and even murder. You can say, Alan, that's not so. It's already happening. You know, a lot of people were arrested on January 6th. A lot of them are still being detained, never had trial yet. Can't get a bond but they're being held under this act right here. So you can say it can't happen in America. It's happening in America even now. This is all conducted completely outside the protection of law with no jury, no trial, no legal representation, not even any requirement that the government produce evidence against the accused, which you just held. So we're already in that day. As believers and as citizens of this country, these things are happening and we tend to not know that. That's called seduction. And what I was mentioning a minute ago about why we tend not to brag on people from up here is we don't want to appear like we're seducing somebody. Is that okay? Seduction is when you, as I say, you blow smoke up somebody. 
If you want to brag on somebody how good they play ball and all, that's good. I'm not against that. When it comes to spiritual things in God, the only one we're blowing smoke at is Jesus. And the reason is, is it can, it's a form of seduction. Now, I want to tell you something. You can be guilty of using seduction and encouraging somebody. Now, just listen to me through here. The truth is, a lot of times what we're guilty of is wanting them to like us and think we're somebody great because we encouraged them. Now, I'm telling you the truth. Can you hear what I'm saying? I want somebody to like me. I want them to like me, so I'm going to go encourage them. That's called seduction. Are you with me? Seduction is when you're trying to do a fraud, and there's spiritual fraud that happens in the church of Jesus Christ, I'm sorry to say. But we don't want to be guilty of that. And the day we're living in, it's important that we don't do that. I think we could slide by with it 30, 40 years ago. But we can't slide by with stuff now like we once did. Now here's the invading darkness. The entitlement mentality is even infecting the middle class. There is a growing dependency of citizens selecting, seeking government handouts, which ignores the reality that the only assets the government has are yours. To fulfill the growing expectations, they will increasingly confiscate your assets to fulfill their ambitions. That's what, it, and if you look at a, if somebody put in front of you, a dollar bill has to change hands three times until the whole tax system's eating it again, three times. You can almost do it like five, six times just for sales tax, nonetheless. The problem with socialism is that you soon run out of other people's money. Margaret Thatcher, she had a way of putting things, didn't she? The problem with socialism is that you soon run out of other people's money. We measure our success on consumption rather than production. Today you have a consumer's index. Today you have how much do we consume in the United States. You don't go by how much do we produce. We're known as the great consuming nation. So we're measured as a successful nation because we gobble up everything of the earth. We're known as the great consumers. That's not a reputation that I want to have. But I hope you can see how we're being seduced into this playing field of the end times. Now, Please don't be dis too discouraged with my teaching. I am going to get to Jesus coming again. All right, don't get too discouraged. Don't I just, it's just some facts here, I think, as believers we need to know. And there is a silver lining. We must refocus on the eternal kingdom. And that's where we're getting ready to get into another, I'm going to pick up here next week. I'll give you a little preview of next week. And this is where Christ, that's my king, he comes again. And we're going to pick up here on this second coming of Christ and how the, in our own personal lives today, there is going to be a literal, actual second coming of the Messiah upon this planet. And Jesus is going to deal with all of these things that we're seeing happening. I don't want you to be discouraged because they're happening. I want you to be informed and trust me, I've just hit just a few little things just so that we can be a little bit informed. But our great hope is the next thing is for our king to come again. And Jesus is coming again. And next week I'm going to get in, get on with it and get into the second coming of Christ. I will get out of some of this perhaps depressing things. To a Christian that the closer we are to Christ, the more excited we get about his, next, his second coming of him returning again. So that's where we'll pick up here next week. Lord Jesus, we love you. I thank you, Lord God, for this day. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that I've gotten through this part of Revelation and we can get into your second coming. I thank you, Lord, for your presence. I pray that this group of believers and those watching online, that they would not be ignorant, brethren, that they would be aware of what's going on around them and that it would set us up to be looking forward to your coming again to this earth. 
But Lord Jesus, we also understand that you can come again into our hearts before your literal coming again upon the earth comes. And I pray, oh God, that you'd stir our hearts once again on you coming into our lives, that we might be excited, that we might be a people that's excited that our King cometh. Let's be a people, oh God, about your business, not of staying, but leaving with you for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.